Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, dear ones. Having some understanding about trauma and its impact is a good start for navigating our own traumas, right? Yes, I hope you will be better prepared for whatever comes your way with greater awareness and some practical approaches you might take into consideration. One of those approaches is how you navigate time. And in this episode, the timing of a discharge from a hospital rehab setting. We know that all the trauma healing learning in the world cannot change the fact of a catastrophic injury or death or monumental loss or debilitating disease or overwhelming life change. We do know that an understanding of what trauma is and how it impacts us can help us look back when it's safe to unpack and digest in small pieces what we were not able to digest so long ago. We are also learning that an understanding of trauma at the time we are faced with the trauma cannot stop what our bodies are designed to do to protect us when we go into overwhelm. But the awareness we can have that we are in a state of trauma, combined with a compassionate response and support in a variety of ways, can change the unfolding trauma experience. And that is what this episode is about. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 22, The Doctor is Not the Only Authority. Timing the Rehab Hospital Discharge for SCI Patients. Did you know our podcast sponsor, the 501c3 nonprofit, I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation, is now the Blink of an Eye nonprofit. And they have a launch campaign to go bedside with SCI families in crisis. You can donate at givebutter.com slash blink of an eye. Blink of an Eye Nonprofit is servicing spinal cord injury families in the crisis hours and days immediately following injury when their lives are turned upside down potentially forever. If you are interested in volunteering or becoming part of the Blink of an Eye cutting-edge relational approaches to trauma healing, medical navigation, and emotional and spiritual support for SCI families in crisis, fill out an information form at www.blinkofaneye.org. Follow Blink of an Eye on Instagram or Facebook at Blink of an Eye Nonprofit. Links to these platforms will be in the show notes.
In our story, we have been telescoping in and out between the goings-on at Shepherd with all of the health updates and choices for Archer's recovery. The tension in proving Archer worthy to remain at Shepherd, and Shepherd seeing Archer as having plateaued. We will take a wider angle look today at the flurry of activity in our family and community as I traveled back and forth from Baltimore to Atlanta, preparing our home for Archer's return. But the episode is laced with the haunting question posed about our health. On whom do we rely for our health and well-being? I am posing that we look to the medical experts and that we also look beyond the traditional medical profession to include the wisdom we have within. We might not pay as close attention to the quality of our emotions and our life experiences and the type of support that we get in trauma as playing a significant role in our health and recovery from a trauma. We also might not pay as close attention as we might want to to the wisdom of our bodies as guides for how well we are really doing or the direction we might want to take. If you've been following the podcast for some time, you know that I believe in the power of emotional well-being and that the body is a true miracle, divinely designed, that can be observed and explored and explained by science, but never truly defined by science. The power of emotions on the body is worthy of awe. The body's miracles are endless. This episode will highlight both for all of us and how the wisdom of both can help us stay the course on whatever difficult path we find ourselves. You will also hear more about my thoughts for an accessible home for a tetraplegic, and there might be some surprising emotional insights for you. And you will hear from one of Archer's high school friends who commuted to Atlanta about the impact of a trauma of a friend on another friend and what can happen that is restorative. And you'll be part of the moment Archer rediscovered what he loved. But before we dive in, I want to welcome those of you who are new to the podcast. Whether you have some connection to SCI or are interested in trauma healing for any reason, welcome. We are so happy you found us. If you find something here that inspires you, please share it with a friend. Follow us on social media and join us on Patreon, where we are sharing more content and resources for trauma healing. If you want to support the podcast, the easiest way to do it that won't cost you a dime is to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening. With that said, let us settle in. I will open with a family and friends update, the last of an update that covered a number of days, and as always, unedited and written in real time. Take in a deep breath and slowly exhale, becoming more present wherever you are with the incredible 
mechanism of your body that breathes you every day. The body that holds the not yet digested pains of our lives and the body that holds so much wisdom. Here we go. Family and friends update. I am on the plane flying back to Atlanta now. It was a quick trip back to Baltimore. And I'm thinking more about what I was just sharing with you about attachment and my more alert awareness of it this week. It's starting to manifest in other ways. We have a couple rope swings in our front yard. One, a wooden ladder rope swing that hangs from the tree by our front door and the other, a long rope tied to a very high bough in a very tall tree by the street. Well, that one has a single wooden bar like a toggle at the bottom for sitting, and it has knots at various intervals for climbing. (laughs) Countless children have swung on that rope over the years, big and little, and continue to as they pass our house headed to eight schools within walking distance of our home or headed to the small neighborhood grocery store or the library just two blocks away, alone or with their parents or their babysitters or in groups. Well, yesterday, two bigger boys whom I didn't recognize were out playing on it and climbing up high and getting a bit boisterous, one yanking the rope to try to make the other fall down as I watched them from the bay window. I felt the urge to go out and say, Boys, that's enough now. But as I watched them, they were really having fun. But I felt the sting of I remember when Archer would climb up to the highest part of our trees. I mean, really high up. He was the biggest climber in our family. It was a stab of, please, Lord, let Archer be on that swing again. Please let him climb. But then... A different message in my head about the two boys. I don't know. They could fall and get hurt. I gotta stop them. I paused and tried to settle myself. I watched some more. And they were just having fun. And then the biggest message of all is I watched one boy begin to shimmy up the rope and the other boy playfully move the wooden toggle back and forth, swaying the climbing rope to make it even more challenging. It's not precarious. It's not particularly dangerous in that moment. They were just having fun. But it could get dangerous. I mean, I had this urge, go out and say something to them. I mean, something terrible could happen. Terrible things happen in split instances. What if the one boy dashed the rope into the tree, slamming the climber into the tree? What if the climber climbed off and hit a car? What if he just fell off, laughing, but landed on his head on the sidewalk? I was tracking how easy it was for my mind to race into these scenarios. And there it was a new attachment, like an emotional attachment to hypervigilance, 
We have had these flashes of danger before. Certainly what mom hasn't. A familiar awareness we know well as moms in action to protect our toddlers from sharp corners on furniture and our preschoolers from curbs and the traffic and our teenagers from decisions that are damaging to their psyches and their souls. My attempts to manage that awareness of danger have often been softened by a certain freedom I've given into believing in my children's ability to navigate and cognitively assuring myself we'll find new learnings if we fail. Let's just hope and pray they're not too damaging or costly. And then emotionally comforting myself that their guardian angels would protect them. I've had those thought patterns for years. Maybe you have too. But they are not as acute as what I experienced watching those two boys on our swing. I got spun up so quickly. I realize with Archer's more catastrophic injury that I have a new opportunity for discernment to live and let live or to clench and stop the life flow because of all the what ifs. So many things can happen and cause potential tragedy in the blink of an eye. And not even doing anything stupid, just living like those two boys on our front swing, like Archer taking a refreshing dip in the ocean. Reactions to what life brings us. Discernment, discernment. It's tricky. I don't want to be attached to the fear of what if. My Lord, it'll make me crazy. I don't want my mothering of my other children and my someday grandmothering to be clamped by the what ifs because of our trauma experience with Archer. I don't. I want us all to live. I want to support the life force that provides the kind of groundedness where Archer and the rest of us on this journey can meet the world confident and open, mindful and alert, and not held back. I'm aware that this experience of Archer will either transform us or it will eat us alive in just about every respect. I want to be transformed. What will that change look like? It will certainly be inspired by you. Thank you for staying close to us. Personal journal note. I met tonight, it was amazing, with my Bergamo Enneagram group. We call ourselves the missing middle. It's hard to believe we have been together as Enneagram teachers over 20 years now. I've missed many of our monthly sessions. Terry reached out to me and invited me on. I hadn't even thought about the meetings, other than the many here at Shepherd for the rehab and Archer schooling 
and Baltimore Mediation and Duchess Schooling. But I went. I called in. Oh, but it felt so good to be with my fellow teachers. I fell apart. I thanked them for the beautiful basket of stuff they sent to the hospital. But then I just fell apart. I knew they were deeply listening to me. Terry suggested something entirely new to me that I might benefit from talking with someone trained in healing trauma through the body. I think I will. That is new to me. I thought we were the ones with our self-awareness and our body working to do this on our own and in community with each other. But I didn't know about somatic experience practitioners. I could use some trauma help, I guess, in addition to my own self-help. But to have a group I trust deeply tell me that I am in trauma was jarring. And it was helpful. I know I am. I just can't do much about it. I'm just trying to survive and do the best we can for Archer. But I will seek out this help. October 13th. 2015. Family and Friends Update. These updates are helping me to process some things. I want to remember when I'm afraid I might forget, even though I just want all of this to be a look in the rearview mirror someday. But things are happening so fast with the flurry of calls and meetings, and I've flown back and forth to Baltimore two times this week, just arriving back to Shepherd today. personal journal note. I'm aware that there are many people reading my family and friends updates. I get letters and texts from people worried that they have not heard for a few days. And some say they set their Facebook alarms for an update. I didn't even know you could do that. And I get letters from people I do not know. All these good people didn't realize this, but as I think about it, I felt that there were many people and that they were growing. I sort of felt it, I don't know, spiritually and in my body. And I feel very grateful to each person who reads the updates. I really do. I think about them and I pray for them. I know they're praying for me, but I pray for them. There's so much that happens, I could never tell them all of it. Not even all the highs and the lows, there just isn't enough time. Do I tell them the home contractor says he hopes we could be finished by Christmas? Do I tell them I'm confused about when we'll go home and what kind of time I need to negotiate for? Do I tell them about the intense pressure to make sure Archer is progressing in some way and how I dodge the people who might be coming to talk to us and go and find the other people I know who have some authority that could help us stay so we can stay and not get discharged? Do I tell them how scared I am if they discharge Archer now? Do I tell them how intense it is with Billy 
and how hard it is to be away from each other? Do I share how worried we are about not having the people power or the know-how to assure Archer will survive if we have to bring him home now? Do I tell him how little a rehab facility knows about what a family has to do to prepare and remodel a home for a quadriplegic? Do I tell him how siloed the rehab side of recovery is from the medical hospital side of recovery? Do I tell him how angry I am about this? Do I tell him about the eggshells I feel we are walking on constantly if we call this out? And how scared I am that it might jeopardize Archer's care? Do I tell him how angry I am that they're clueless to understand or even acknowledge what each family has to deal with regarding insurance and keeping all the balls in the air? Do I tell him what I hear from the other families in the family kitchen about how one's having to rent another home and move and another's having to move in with other family and all the pressure they feel to be in two places at the same time and how they can't be with their kid and the constant parent battle to fight off the narcotics? And do I tell them also how beholden I also feel to Shepard and how I'm in a strange love-hate dynamic with them and I think it's making me sick? Do I tell them I've been working with a breath worker who has the gift of seeing inside a person's body to tell me about the quality of Archer's lungs? Will I sound too out there, too woo-woo? Do I tell them about the milky slime in Archer's lungs that she sees that will actually restore his breath? Do I tell them I believe in mystical wisdom to guide me? If I can just tap into it? I mean, that's what the ancient mystics in the Catholic Church were all about. Healing. Do I tell them I don't think the doctors know it all? That I don't think they are the only experts, the only authority for Archer's health and well-being? Do I tell them how much I need the doctors and feel I'm in a crazy dynamic with them of Reliance, independence, like a teenager, or other knowing and interdependence. But I can't break through to them? Do I tell them about the quantities of mail we receive daily now? So much it's in stacks and from people I do not even know. Do I tell them about all the wisdom in those letters? Do I tell them how I don't sleep because I need to read those letters while I watch Archer's monitors in the night? Personal journal note. Mail is so comforting to me that people take the time to write and send us their thoughts. I cannot get to it all, though. I thought I could, but I cannot. I've given up on keeping a log of each person's name. Annabelle Stone came to visit me from Richmond, Virginia, coming up from Texas, and she volunteered to do the logs for me, but it was too much for her too. 
It bothers me that I'll never be able to repay those hope lifters for their written kindness, or that I will not even be able to say thank you, because some people write and do not even give me their return address. It's occurred to me, though, that that, in and of itself, is a sort of kindness, you know? It's like they removed my thanking them from my to-do list, and they write anyway. They're very generous. I'm so grateful. Each letter and card is very precious to me. I sort everything that is addressed to Archer into large grocery bags so the kids who come visit each weekend can open and go through them and read them to Archer. I wonder what so many of those letters and cards say, but Archer needs some privacy too, so I don't read them. I've always tried to give my kids some privacy. I'm not sure how to give that to Archer now, except to have his friends read the mail to him. It still takes my breath away how Archer is so completely dependent on us for everything, for his arms and hands. He doesn't even have a voice to call a friend or to call us if he needs help. We have to anticipate what he needs. It's tricky. We'll figure it out in time. But I'm afraid to leave his side or leave him without someone by his side. Oh, thank the Lord for the Atlanta Angels. Maybe this will all pass soon. I keep praying for that, that this might all go away when we experience a miracle. Until then, it's all very real, and these practical issues have to be met and dealt with. Please give me the courage and wisdom, Lord. Family and Friends Update Archer had two more friends come to visit flew to Atlanta just for a Wednesday night. What a lovely treat. What I was so struck by more than anything was their kindness and almost awe of Archer and how Archer is inspiring them. And they told me Archer was inspiring them. If they only knew the way they and their prayers were inspiring and truly holding Archer up. And this is how it came about. I said something like that to them. And each had his own dear, tender story that just tumbled out of their mouths. One began, Mrs. Semft, you know I'm Jewish and, well, my family doesn't really pray, but I've been talking with my grandmother about Archer. And now she and I, together, pray for him. It's nice. Isn't that the dearest? And Archer's other friend was saying how he's not very good in a particular subject at school and he has wanted to give up. But he's not because Archer isn't. Oh my God, I said to myself. That is exactly what inspires Archer in return. There is this reciprocity 
of that kind of energy. Those visits are priceless. So tender, real, authentic. We really need them. And we need each other. While we rely so extensively and almost completely on the doctors as the authority for Archer's future, it's this support, this two-way relationship with so many of you that is a main determinant for how Archer fares every day. It helps his will and his outlook. Thank you for being with Archer and me so far on this journey. You're so generous with your time. Personal journal note. Hi, family and friends. I know it takes time to read these updates. I can't believe you still are. We feel that you feel us. And that's how I felt today, and I wanted you to know that. And we feel you. I think our feeling each other at a deep level is creating an energy field for Archer's healing. I do. I believe that how we feel each other is at the heart of how we're all doing. So hard to be here. And because of the time you have taken, your generous time to care about us, we're doing okay. Not completely, but enough. Enough for now, enough for today. I never imagined how much what happened to Archer would impact you too. I guess we impact each other, but I never imagined that. does loosen a little of the constriction I feel about Archer's future and that I feel about our family's future. Thank you. Have you ever considered that sharing your vulnerability with those who care about you can be so impactful for them? Whether just by listening or by sharing our presence with someone in conflict or crisis, we can truly see each other and feel each other in a deep, intimate sort of way. Have you ever had that experience of feeling truly seen? We spend so much of our lives feeling disconnected from our essence and not recognizing who we really are. A real human connection can restore us, like holding up a mirror to allow us to reclaim ourselves and our goodness. Among some of the friends who visited Archer these couple of weeks in October 2015, whom I referred to in the Family and Friends update, was Price Campbell. She shared a reflection years later about how she and her friends connected with Archer during this delicate time and how they leaned in to move through that vulnerability they all felt, and how that connection seemed to coax out some of Archer's clever 
funny and joyful true nature, and just when they least expected it. Here's an excerpt. I remember feeling very much like, I don't know what he needs. I don't know if he needs as little for me as possible, if he needs company, if he needs a ton of support, if he needs, you know, us to just fill silence. But I was extremely nervous because if anything, I just wanted to help and not harm. And I just didn't know what mental state he was in at that point. And I didn't know exactly how it was going to do that. So there was a lot of anticipation going into it. I remember that in spades. I very clearly, I remember you walk leaving and kind of saying that, you know, you were going to take the time to take care of some things. And I remember kind of breathing and saying, oh, okay, good, we're helping. Because really, I was, I was terrified that we were going to somehow make it worse. Maybe that, I don't know if Riley and Jeffers were thinking that, but... I just, you know, I wanted to make sure us coming there was for him and not for us. Totally. And for you and not for us. And so just initially when I saw that you were able to go do some things because we were there, I felt immediately better just from just step one. She can go do some things. Okay, we're helping for starters. And then, you know, it's so amazing to hear you now say that just us being there was a big help because... I don't think we just didn't know really what to do. We didn't know if he wanted, you know, our attention on the trauma that he'd gone through, if he wanted acknowledgement of it, or does he want to shove it into the corner of the room and talk about anything else, please. And it was hard. And I think he felt awkward and we felt a little intimidated, just, you know, not sure how to act, but like, I think it was, must've been our first day possibly our second day, but we took that trip to the zoo. And I remember we were kind of walking behind him and he was in the power chair and and, and somebody carrying the oxygen tank. <laughs> yeah. 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 And we were like, God, he must hate this. Like you think he, well, he seems like we weren't really sure what to think. We weren't saying much. And then like something switched and he started accelerating and merging and accelerating and like doing like zigzags in and out of all of the other kids in the group. And we were suddenly sprinting to keep up with him and we were dying and we were laughing and we were like, So Archer, so Archer to surprise you and make you laugh. Totally. We, I mean, just when you think a person can't possibly be deeper within themselves to almost be unrecognizable, there he was. We were all so happy and we were just laughing with him and at the situation and things felt much better after that, after we could just see him for a minute, you know. I do know. Price was wise in this observation and how we impact each other. When that glimmer of our true essence shines through, even as a little moment in a very difficult time. Family and Friends Update I've been thinking about generosity. I'm so overflowing with all your kindnesses. 
I pray for you in gratitude. I love to say the rosary. I say one for our prayer warriors and angels and archer's army. Your prayers, your cards and letters, your stories, which are our favorite and so inspiring, to all that you are doing to help us with food and personal items and our pets and our house and our yard and our business and our lives and the planning and the logistics and the changes. It's just so beautiful, the love. I was home yesterday and an angel came by while I was changing the four recessed light bulbs that were burned out. I've really not been in my home for any length of time since mid-July. So the bachelor pad needed nine loads of laundry and, well, a lot of things. But this angel just offered to fold laundry. And I said yes. And another angel made Dutch's lunches. And I said yes. And another archangel takes care of us dearly with our travel needs and managing the frequent flyer points being donated. Such acts of generosity have kept all the kids close to Archer and our family in physical connectedness in ways we never could have done on our own. Your generosity is as powerful as any medicine. It's all just so amazing, so miraculous. And the few times I've returned to Baltimore, the archangels have taken care of our yard in ways that took my breath away. And not just once, but ongoing. It's all so thoughtful, so loving, and so deeply caring. We are all in this together. And we impact each other. And we change this horrific situation into something a bit softer, a bit more manageable. I don't know. I can't explain it fully, but we impact each other in extraordinary ways, and I think we are stronger and healthier as a result. We are so the beneficiaries of your love. We love you very much. Let's pause a moment and explore what it's like to give and what that feels like, which I pray is good for you as much as you give so much to us. But do we think very often of what it is like to receive? It's really extraordinary. I mean, it's crazy ridiculous, but it's sort of a type of vulnerability to receive really receive the gift offered by another. The gift of being felt by another. I mean, how many times do we say to someone who's offered a kindness to us, oh, thank you, that's nice. Or, oh, thanks, but I'm okay. Thanks anyway. Where we put up barriers for our own ability to receive someone's kindness. I realize with Archer, on the days he's doing well and the days 
he's doing poorly, that we might not be okay without your generosity. It's very powerful medicine. And second, I realized I was curious what held me back from saying yes more often. Well, what held me back when I needed to say yes? I wanted to say yes, but instead I just said thanks, but no thanks, essentially. Pride. A rugged sense of my own individualism that I can do it myself. Which I think stems from a deep sense of separateness that I have to do it myself. Well, on this journey with Archer, we can't do it ourselves. We want to be interdependent, not independent. We want to feel connected to a larger whole. We need you. And so we are saying, yes. I must say yes, yes, yes. Oh, good, gracious, and loving God, you are so good to have these angels doing your work on earth. Yes. Whatever your faith, it is through the most sacred mystery that each of you is moved to act to help us, moved to act to help anyone. It's part of our birthright as humans to be moved by a higher moral will and obligation to each other. That act is a miracle unto itself. As I sit here bedside, I know that, yes, we are immersed in individualism. It's widely celebrated in our society. We need to be on alert and guard against the pride of individualism and the erosion of connectedness and interconnectedness. We need to accept others' generosity. And it makes the other feel good. I learned this in the Order of Malta, how our hearts would soar, really, when we would carry them a lot or their burdens for them or help them in any way. The joy was ours in the giving and the joy was magnified when it was received. There was a humility in receiving help with what you cannot do for yourself or on your own. And it created a deeper connectedness for all of us. That was a good lesson for me. Have you had experiences like that? It's that reciprocal relational thing again. Well, that said, the Sempt family does not want to become a burden to any of the angels or the archer's army in any way. We do not expect nor want you to do anything that burdens you. We do ask for your continued prayers most of all. Archer Strong is strong because of that which unites us. Love kindness, forgiveness, prayer, 
and believe. We're now in high gear because we have to be turning our sights and energies to the necessary accommodations for Archer at our home. Well, helped by Archer's army and the Archangels, Billy supervised moving day, and I am overseeing the plans for how Archer will get into our home and how we will make a bedroom for him on the first floor that will accommodate his needs and all the equipment. It's really a big wow to think about the amount of storage Archer needs just for medical supplies and linens that he goes through a day and how we can mount a Hoyer lift in the ceiling to lift him out of bed and how to create a roll-in shower and bathroom and with space for his power chair and a different shower chair. Please pray with me that our neighborhood with all its bounty and good friends helping us in this endeavor approve what is planned as it has taken a lot of creative thinking on the part of our angel architect and home ADA contractor since our home was constructed in 1903 and has presented many challenges, beginning with how to even get Archer inside. You know, an odd thing happened just an hour or so ago. I was sharing with Archer the planning meetings at home and eliciting his thoughts and thinking about options for his bedroom in particular. And he had a few ideas. But then he said, as I read his lips, Ma, you have my carte blanche to decide. All I need is this bed. And if we can afford it, a Hoya lift. And it'd be nice to get into the kitchen. You don't have to change too much, though. I got this really weird feeling like, right, Archer, we don't have to change much because we're going to have a creative miracle. And I really felt it. I just looked at him with the way he said it, like he was passing through. And I said, Archer, you mean like because there will be a creative miracle? And he shrugged and said, maybe. Now, my active mind could find hope in about anything, so I don't want to get too crazed about it, but I was so struck. He said he liked the den feel of our den and wanted it like that for his room. He said he was fine with any room. The only thing necessary for a room to be a bedroom was a bed. I smiled. Comments like that are very archerish. He meant it, too. He then told me very matter-of-factly, If you can, I just want a good bed. A separate thermostat system. And a way to the kitchen. 
He really lit up when I shared Billy's idea to convert the garage as a place to hang out and do art. Oh, he liked that very much. I told him it would all be good. He looked at me and said, But it will cost a lot. And I said, We'll figure it out. I told him that in case it crosses his mind, I wanted him to feel secure in knowing that we would ensure that when and if we lose power in the winter, since we almost always do for varying lengths of time related to snow and big trees, that we'll explore a generator. Shepard has told us we need to have a backup ventilator system since Archer's life depends on it, and a backup machine only gives him eight hours of power. So things like a generator become important. And then there's the technology. How Archer might be able to open and close doors or cabinets in his room with a button on his iPad, operated from a stylus and a sleeve, stuck into a splint on his arm, or by his eyes, or his voice, he could recover that. Many uncertainties and possibilities. And I have no idea what most of them are, but I will learn and we will explore. But we have to very soon, as our hope will be to be home by the holidays. And then there's the issue of space for a couple caregivers. I realize we will need to hire to alternate the day and the night care for Archer, helping to turn him every three hours at night and helping with the two to three hours of morning time needed every day just to get him up for the day and do that daily routine. It takes two people just to turn Archer. Just pause and think about your routine every morning. Routines are so comforting. I bet you can get up and get going in an hour, or for many of you, much less than that. And that probably includes makeup application, as well as your morning cup of tea or coffee. Well, I was putting Archer to bed tonight, and it was over 90 minutes with the help of a nurse to get him out of his chair, undressed, turned, and cushions in the right places to prevent bed sores or skin breakdown in the program. So much time and energy for the most basic of things. I can really see why so many people never get out of bed and just wither away. Because it takes a lot of effort and hands-on to do the basics for them. Oh, we have so much to be grateful for. Archer is alive. Billy and I will learn these things. And there is the feeling of emergence of a new routine from the new normal. It feels very good, actually. It's inching a bit closer, the certainty. Personal journal note. I should have added this to the update, but I'm not sure how much of our plans need to be kept on the down low so we can move quickly. I'm so in awe of the care and interest my neighbor and friend, Janet Marie Smith, is taking with our home renovations. 
She is such a gifted architect. And she's not even in Baltimore that often, as her job takes her elsewhere for long stretches of time. She's in L.A. working on the Dodger Stadium. But she lined up a meeting with a contractor for me. I totally trust her. I'll fly back again to Baltimore to meet with him to do the measurements and drawings for the renovations. Feels like a new movement. Archer, we will do this. Personal journal note. I love my old grade school friends. Noreen Kane is sending me different tea tinctures like Cystus Incanus for Archer and helping me understand bed sores and how to prevent them with a special mattress that emits a low vibration. Oh, my eyes are being opened to integrative health in new ways. Some of the most potent complementary health are your prayers. I know my high school friends are saying them as they stay in touch on a Prayers for Archer Facebook page. Julie Sullivan started it. I think it's responsible for the thousands of pieces of mail I'm getting because I think the updates are getting forwarded. And the many families in Baltimore, at McDonough School and Gilman School and Friends School, and all the schools with coaches who have coached our kids, their packages of signed lacrosse jerseys and footballs and photos decorate our room. And the daily texted pictures from my college Theta sorority sisters brighten every morning for me. And my neighbor and doctor friend, Harry Johnson, has connected me to another mom of a quadriplegic to give me some ideas for the renovations. Cheryl Hazel, she sent me a picture of her daughter's handicapped bathroom. It's really big. I guess it has to be for a quadriplegic. It's so helpful to see. It's amazing to me, the friends from every chapter of my life I'm hearing from, and I'm learning from, and I'm lifted by. I need them. I don't know what I would do without all of them. There's so much to tell you. It's going to be fast and furious. Here we go. Family and Friends Update, October 25th, 2015, Day 84, Tuesday. I just want the best care for our son. It's been a very difficult two weeks since I last talked with you. Suffice it to say, no matter how hard Archer may try, his body needs more time. The standard number of weeks of rehab at Shepherd have come and gone, and his body is not showing any new impulses to work with, nor his breathing showing enough improvement to elongate his stay. Just another bump. That's all it is, I tell myself. Just another bump, and it'll be all right. But it's painful to think of discharge. But discharge, it will be. We are way beyond their normal four 
to six weeks. We're lucky enough to get this length of time given his condition. Well, that said, he could have, would have, or should have been able to stay longer. Oh, wait. Stop. There I go again. Don't do it, Louise. Those could have, would have, should haves will eat me alive. I've got to move on. We had the meeting. Indeed, we've had a few meetings, many meetings. I've advocated and cajoled, and Archer has requested and been clear that we want more time for his body. And in our begging and borrowing and pleading, the stay has been extended twice. But Billy and I now feel it's time to go home. We will be in an air ambulance back to Baltimore on the morning of November 11th. It feels right and appropriate. November 11th, Veterans Day. Our lion-hearted veteran will return to his hometown prayer warriors, Baltimore, the home base of Archer's Army. We will head to Kennedy Krieger and hope to get strong enough there to enter an outpatient program thereafter, back into aggressive rehab for the next level. To let you know the good stuff, Archer's progress, it's really awesome. Here's what he's been able to do the last two weeks, and it's all really big. Archer no longer requires the deep lung suctions. Almost all of his lung suctions are with the inexiflator vacuum, and he's now tolerating it well without his right shoulder thrown out from the violent assisted coughing. Archer got his neck brace off too. His neck bone is healed, and now it's all about strengthening. And Archer is no longer using sip and puff on his power chair. He uses the T-bar with his left hand as a result of the arm splint mobilized by the strengthened left bicep. And he only takes Motrin his pain. Okay, it's a Tylenol 3 with codeine every once in a while when the transport in the Hoyer lift from his bed to his power chair is not smooth and he wrenches that right shoulder out again. Or it starts the bad muscle spasms again. But that's infrequent. He's come a long way from his 7 to 8 regularly on the pain scale. Dang, let's just celebrate that right? Yes. To be free of the pain. Think if you had a broken scapula and a machine moved it back and forth. But pain be gone. Think of the last time you had a sharp, acute pain. Like stubbing your toe in the dark or having something drop or slam on a toe or finger and it smarts so bad. And then It just subsides, and you're grateful, so grateful. And you become aware again of your breath because you sigh, ah, a sigh of relief, a sigh of gratitude for your body. It's past, the pain has passed. And I think and hope 
Archer's right shoulder pain has passed as well. The cuff on Archer's tracheotomy is deflated about two cc's of air four hours a day. We're talking now, and we have started to hear parts of his voice. <laughs> talking, voicing, is rough and slow, but it's sure. While it is very difficult for him, he's trying and doing it well. And he tried voice texting. I was the beneficiary from an Atlanta angel working with him. We're seeking further information on the impact, if any at this point, of healing of his scissored vocal cords, likely from the vent being in for so long in Atlantic City, Shepard said. While his appetite has not increased, his resolve to eat is stronger, and he has eaten up to 27 calories on some days, especially on visits by Archer's army friends on the weekend when he has no therapies and we can do small bites all day long. Okay, so some of it gets vomited back up, but he's trying to put it in. Yes, he still has ongoing nausea. I don't know what that's about. He uses the mobile arm support for eating mandarin oranges or other easily forkable food daily, although it's pretty hard. But the big news, he had his first art class and used the mobile arm support with a pencil and charcoal stylus. I asked Archer what it was that he drew. And he told me, a snail. And the other drawing, he said, a landscape. A landscape, eh? Okay. Hmm. So tell me what's there. And he said, mountains, birds, and haystacks on the hill. Oh, yes. I see them now. I'm attaching them for you to see. It's a far cry from his pencil portraits, attached as well. It's hard to tell if it was satisfying to him or not. He didn't want to do it again. So I worry that he was disappointed or something maybe stronger like disgust or hopelessness that made him down. We'll have to work on that. Please pray for acceptance of what is presented today while we hold out the hope for tomorrow. Hope. She is our friend. Archer did say he'd like to have more help with art and technology. So that is good. We will welcome help in that area, especially as we hope to raise the funds to build out an art studio for him if he finds joy in being an artist again. We're planning to cut the feeding tube in the next week. That's pretty huge, too. One less implant in his body. And we hope to have a GI evaluation of the innervation of the pyloric muscle before we cut it and have it removed. So we will clamp it rather than remove it until we are sure he can hold down food. 
or enough food, despite that nausea, so that he doesn't lose too much more weight. And he will have surgery this week for a suprapubic catheter. It's another invasion, another scar of so many on his body, and another device implanted, but a move towards greater independence, hopefully someday. (laughs) Isn't this all amazing? It is. It is. And for those who see Archer now, compared to even two weeks ago, the progress is dramatic. So why is this not enough to go to the next level here at Shepherd when it's neither an insurance issue nor a desire issue? I ask that many times myself. But in a nutshell, Archer's right diaphragm is not innervated. And for that matter, his entire right side is not innervated. His left diaphragm is doing all the work for his breathing, still aided by a ventilator. But it, too, does not have enough innervation to move his lungs up and down, to breathe on his own, they say. And Shepard is about aggressive physical rehab, the kind of rehab we have benefited from, no doubt, But a patient needs to be weaned off a vent, something they specialize in, and have the current level of injury improve with new impulses or sensations coming online in order to go to the next level. But the next level for some, like Archer, may have been another week or more in inpatient or, more typically, in about 52% of their patients directly into their day program. Mm. I was surprised when Archer's lead doctor said that no one stays in inpatient rehab past six weeks. We were definitely under an impression we'd be here 12 weeks. Our druthers had been to get home before the holidays. But four to six weeks would leave Archer in a pretty bad way since he's still, because of that one day of bed sore beginning three weeks and three days ago I told you about, he's still having to be rotated three hours into bed, two hours into a chair, 15-minute wait shifts, and again and again, all day long, which has also interfered with therapies that would normally be in the gym. Not to mention the ongoing time to be suctioned and inexiflated. Poor Arch. It really is quite something. But the other quadriplegic families I heard from were awesome in rooting me on to ask for more time and how to do that. So as I learned from others that while many are sent home after four weeks, if the level of injury is changing and the body is showing new impulses and muscle groups coming online, more can happen. While that was not happening for Archer's body, he certainly is making steady progress on the vent weaning. But that said, try as Shepard might, even with their aggressive approaches to vent weaning, they're not able to wean Archer's body from 
and his need for his ventilator. And try as Archer might, he cannot consistently blow more than 300 of vital capacity. He needs 1,000. And those stubborn mucus plugs continue. As they say, Archer has met the goals for his level of injury, and there are no new goals to set. Oh, Archer has, in their words, plateaued. Yeah, plateaued. That's what they said. I hate that word. It's crushing to me. It's certainly disappointing for all. Even as we put the full hard court press boot camp on the past two weeks, and I mean it, it has been rough all around the board. It's not enough. Despite other dramatic progress points, Archer's lungs remain in regular need again of suctioning. And his progress points are consistent with his level of injury, what they would hope and expect. So it's good in one respect, but sad in another. He's exhausted. And I think it fair to say he's scared. Scared of the prospect of coming home still on the vent. And if anything goes wrong, he can't breathe. That's a biggie. It really is. And it has to do with our family's training and growing knowledge and familiarity with the machines and the devices and how to use them. And having a medical care team of new people at home and friends and time who know this. And having a separate electrical system in Archer's living quarters. We're having to remodel at home to regulate the cold room temperature and the constant need for electricity for his vent. Having to install a backup gas generator to hedge against and be prepared for any power outage of any variety of electrical shutdown this winter. And having someone 24-7 available and very near to assist him when in need of suctioning and in exhalation. Saline squirts into his tracheotomy and bicarbonate treatments and vest shakeups. There's a lot legitimately for Archer to have anxiety about. He is truly at the mercy of us and his caregivers. So it seems that this situation will either create a neurotic, embittered, frightened young man, or it will be an opportunity for deep trust on Archer's part and serious commitment of us and others to his well-being. I choose and pray for the latter course for all of us, and that is what we have been double-dog doing the last week once we figured it out got more time and what Billy and I will be doing the next couple weeks in high definition. Please, say a prayer for us that we are doing the right thing, that Shepard is doing the right thing, and that Archer will be okay 
once we leave Shepherd, headed for home, with a stop at Kennedy Krieger Institute, who will care for his respiratory, perhaps in a way Shepherd was not able, and that Archer is confident of his caregivers, both familiar and unfamiliar. Oh, to have confidence in those who care for us, those on whom we rely. Think about it. There might not even be anyone in your life you rely upon so much that it would be death without them or their help. I pray you do not have that situation. But that is Archer's situation. Like a newborn baby, it's exactly like that. And with his voice limited, it's exactly like that. Although we don't even get the chance to hear screams for when he would be uncomfortable or unhappy. You read what a baby needs by his face and sounds in many respects. And I might add that most of the work and care is love. How critical it also is to have caregivers who genuinely want to love you and do what is best to take care of your basic needs as well as your other needs. Well, since Archer is hardly a baby, think of a situation, whether at work or at home, when you had a good hire or a dear friend or a solid family member on whom you relied to run your affairs or to babysit for you and take care of your children. Someone who was regular, someone on whom you really depended. Perhaps replaceable, but not easily. That person was kind and competent enough that you entrusted them with your most important matters, your child, your livelihood, your peace of mind, that something very important to you was being handled well and handled with great care. It allowed you to have the ability to do other necessary things without anxiety. You trusted them completely. You knew and believed they were good for you, for your business, for your children, because they cared about their welfare and acted on that care. Now, imagine the prospect of losing her or him, whether real or imagined. Suddenly, such an abrupt loss could send panic waves and there would be real and not imagined floundering around for a while trying to figure it out and reestablish some homeostasis. Well, those panic waves are what I think Archer feels with plans now, real plans, to leave Shepard. Like being cut from the umbilical cord. And in his case, it truly is life or death. Though the question of where do I go next regarding his breathing and continued strengthening is a fundamental one about life itself. And we still have much to do and learn. Personal journal note. 
it's been rough. And I'm also noticing the impact all the support that surrounds us on the walls of Archer's room has on me. I wonder if it has the same impact on Archer. I know Archer is so scared. We are too, as so much is unknown. And Shepard is out of options. I also look at this room and I feel Archer is so loved. And that is helping me to listen better to the medical team and to learn faster and not be as reactive as I have felt for a few weeks now when they first said we were being discharged. When I first heard that word discharge almost four weeks ago, it didn't feel right. And at first I was confused. I felt they didn't fully understand. We couldn't be discharged. Then I felt they were not for Archer. I felt they were against him and that made me mad. I was really mad. It felt premature. It felt reckless. It felt like they were pulling the rug out. A total cop-out. I was also aware of how reactive I was, even though I couldn't stop those thoughts. And frankly, I didn't want to. I wanted to scream at them. I was really aware how much the word discharge made me angry. Actually, it made me feel really helpless. I mean, you may not have thought I felt helpless as I bared up ready to go toe-to-toe with them as if they were getting in the way of our important goal, which they were. But something I have learned over the years about conflict and its accompanying reactivity is to slow things down a little. It's rarely a good idea to make an important decision when you are in a state of reactivity. And I know that. And I also know that before making an important decision, it's helpful to seek out solid, reliable information and talk to experts or others you trust. And I also know it's equally valuable to sleep on things, to give your mind a little time to digest, to trust yourself if you can hear your true self and what is best for your situation. But I also know that it's important to literally sit with that information and listen to how your body feels. And I've shared that with some clients, too. But sometimes here at Shepherd, I've forgotten that. While other days, it's all I'm doing. When I do remember that the body is really full of wisdom, I sit quietly at night. And I was sitting in the glow of Archer's monitors as I monitor the monitors all night long. And I realized I had to discern how much I was bargaining for more time so we could complete our home modifications and how much I was bargaining because Archer's lungs really needed more time to heal so he could then participate in rehab. I determined it was a mixture of both and that both were in Archer's best interests. I prayed every night asking God to guide me 
I always had to create time to be silent so I could hear God talking to me. That's why I've loved the nights, actually. But it was like a little whisper, a thought that reminded me to listen to my body. So I sat quietly in the nighttime after Archer's friends had bedded down. I prayed the rosary and then I just sat in silence. Really softly, I looked around the room in the blue glow of the monitors. I slowly scanned the grocery bags of letters and the signed posters and inspiration banners and spiritual messages that filled every inch of the walls of Archer's room. I felt my heart flutter. It did. We were not alone. And I closed my eyes and asked God to listen to what my body told me about the word discharge. I scanned my body head to toe and it literally felt heavy and unsettled around that word. And that was how I got the confirmation that it was not the right time a few weeks ago. This is what gave me the solid ground to continue to negotiate with Shepard and ask for all the meetings to discuss Archer staying longer. That's what gave us our additional four weeks. I have tried to rely on God as the highest authority and on what God has created as authorities too. The intellect for cutting edge medicine and the body I was born with for wisdom. I know it's all these sources I need, but I have never felt so desperate before around next step decision-making because these stakes are so high. But a couple nights ago, I checked in with God and my body again about that word discharge. That felt different did, my chest and my gut felt a little more settled, nowhere near the clench and the grip I had felt before. I shared this with Billy. We talked a long time, and we decided, as scary as it is, that we will work with Shepard to leave here. We're ready now. Well, Not exactly, but the timing is more responsive to what Archer really needs. I've made many phone calls. The process is underway. And your support and letters and videos and gifts have helped create the ground we needed. And it's created the ground Archer has needed to stay this course. Someday, I want to share checking in with the body with Archer. I want to teach him how to tune into his body. I'm not sure what he will be able to feel. We'll figure these things out as we go.
I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Blink of an Eye. Whatever difficulties or uncertainties you face in your life, it's helpful to look outward to gather information, others' expertise and support, and we can be so grateful for doctors and rehab specialists and all the other experts on whom we rely in our lives. It's helpful to also look around you at the support you have, including the chair holding you up, to the friends and family you have, to the many forms of nature and beauty that surround you. It's also essential to look inward. When we create the quiet spaces where we can listen to the whisper of the divine and the somatic wisdom of our bodies, we can cultivate an inner knowing that is part of our human birthright. Consider your inner knowing for hard decisions you need to make. It's always there. You're never alone. If you want to learn how to tap into that space and bring that inner knowing with you as you navigate a crisis, please join us in the Companion Trauma Healing Learning 22, The Cathedral of the Lungs with Jessica Dibb. This is a really special episode that I know will give us all more ways into our own sense of self and oneness using breath. As always, if you learned something today or had an experience that moved you or brought you insight, please share this episode with a friend. You can subscribe and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Your support means the world and allows us to continue sharing this story and these resources. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Love heals trauma. Thank you for tuning in to the Blink of an Eye story. Tune in tomorrow for a special back-to-back companion, Blink of an Eye Trauma Healing Learning 22, The Cathedral of the Lungs with Jessica Dibb. Thank you for listening, and thank you for telling your friends about the Blink of an Eye podcast. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue. You can learn more at baltimoremediation.com.